pull up a seat to the edge table with Nicole Biscotti and Melissa Seiboff. Welcome. We're so glad that you've decided to pull up a seat to the edge table. The conversation is even more rich the more people participate. Make sure you invite your friends to listen at the edge table and continue the conversation on our forum at theedgetable.com or on Twitter at the underscore edu underscore table. We hope you are enjoying enjoying the podcast as much as we enjoy putting it together. If you do, please be sure to leave us a review. It helps the podcast be seen and brings even more people to the table. My name is Melissa Sidebotham, and I am here with my good friend, Nicole Biscotti. Hi, I'm Nicole Biscotti. The Edu Table is a place for parents and educators to share ideas and perspectives. Today is Juneteenth, and we are honored to have a panel of people that are dynamic and insightful and have a lot of wisdom to share on important topics that the important conversations that are happening right now. I apologize in advance for my voice and for being a little quiet on this podcast. Unfortunately, I've been um, pretty sick lately, but um, we didn't want Juneteenth to pass without us having this conversation. So thank you all for being here listening. Thank you so much, Nicole. I really appreciate you, you know, really doing everything you can to to help us make this conversation happen today. So without further ado, I would love to have our panel introduce themselves. I, I think you will agree we have a wonderful group put together today, and they're sure to be sharing so much insight and um, their experiences, and, and we're really lucky to have them here with us. So Basil, will you go ahead and, and let everybody know how or who you are? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Nicole and Melissa, for having us on the sh- having me on the show here today. Um, I currently am a high school assistant principal in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm also a national speaker, um, but I'm also a disruptor of the status quo. Fantastic. And we're so happy that you were able to join us today. Next up, we've got Amber. Amber, will you introduce yourself? And, and you've heard Amber once or twice on our show before. She's a she's a regular. Go ahead, Amber. Awesome. Hi, my name is Amber Coleman-Mortley. <laughs> I'm the Director of Social Engagement at iCivics. We make video games and civic content. I'm also a mom blogger, and I run a podcast with my three daughters. It's called Let's K-12 Better. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast, I highly recommend it. It is fantastic. Amber and her daughters are are always putting out wonderful conversations. Um, so next up, we have Evan. Evan, can you let everybody know who you are? And again, he'll you'll also recognize his voice because he's been on our show once or twice as well. <laughs> Hi, uh, thanks. Thanks for the introduction, uh, Melissa and Nicole. Thanks for having me on again. My name is Evan Whitehead. I'm director of special services in Lindop School District 92, right outside the city of Chicago um, in Illinois. And um I oversee all federal programs, special education, McKinney Mental Homeless, um, social emotional learning, and family community engagement. And I'm also a uh, national consultant, speaker, and presenter, and a mental health advocate. Thank you so much, Evan. And he has been such a, a driving force with Nicole and I on this podcast. His support um, has just been 
I can't even say how much it's really helped us. So thank you so much for being with us again, Evan. And last but not least, we have Markenya. Hi, thank you for having me. This is my first time on the podcast, but I'm so honored um, to be here with you all. Um, I'm Dr. Markenya Williams. I'm a 2020 graduate uh, from DePaul University, so I am uh, in the celebratory mode right now, Um, but uh, I have been an educator for uh, 14 years. I'm currently um, an administrator um, in the Northwest suburbs. Um, so I am so excited to be here with you all um, to bring my experiences, to bring um, just perspectives uh, to the edgy table. Thanks for having me. We are really, really excited to have you on the podcast and thank you for, for sharing your time and your wisdom with us. Um, before we had started uh, recording, we were having some conversations just kind of in our, like our little green room. And we were, we were recognizing the fact that today is a really important day in Juneteenth. And, um, I posed the question about how everybody was celebrating. And Markenya, you actually said something that I thought was so powerful and and very poignant. Would you mind sharing that with our listeners, if that's okay? Oh, absolutely. I just was uh, expressing before we uh, started recording um, how today, you know, Juneteenth uh, was a little different than most uh, Juneteenths that I have experienced. I think uh, nationally, uh, awareness has been... um, uh, brought to uh, the energy and the the homage that's due to uh, celebrate, you know, this this day, um, 155 years ago, you know, uh, the ancestors just realized that they were free, um, and so for me today was more uh, reflecting in that energy, that ancestral strength uh, that has brought um, us to this 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 day. Um, and and although we have so far to go, we have really come a, a long way. Um, and so uh, this Juneteenth, I think, is is going to go down in the books. Um, it's historical. I saw so many social media posts. Of, people with uh, t-shirts and in the uh, uh, media this week, I saw different states are declaring it a a holiday, a paid holiday. Um, And so I think that even though, you know, the energy uh, uh, can be very loud, but I I do think um, some very positive things are going to come out uh, of of all the social justice energy that we're seeing right now. And and I'm so glad that as a nation, we have recognized this day um, as a day uh, to celebrate uh, the Blacks in America. Absolutely. And I think that that is, is that energy is, is sweeping across our nation. And I think everybody is, is feeling that and getting swept up in that positive energy. So thank you for sharing that story. It just, it really touched me when you shared it. Uh, so when we're looking at the edge table as a podcast, we really are, are looking toward parents and educators and having conversations that are going to benefit our students. And with everything that's been happening, I know on on the podcast before now, we'd been talking a lot about different things as they relate to COVID-19. And then we have all of this uh, social unrest and and really the acknowledgement of so much injustice that has been happening in our country against Black Americans. And how do we talk about that with our children and and things like that? So 
what kinds of conversations or questions have you been fielding from your own children and from from children that you work with in the school setting? Amber, would you like to share? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think this is a really, really important question, um, especially because we we really need to make sure that we pay attention uh, to what our children are experiencing, whether they're in our classrooms or in our homes. Um, I know with my own daughters, we talk about um, race a lot and we center, you know, the black identity within America. Um, and we talk about, you know, you know, how, how it is and how, it, how it is to live as a black person in America. Um, and so I think we, we centered this experience recently within a historical framework, you know, and looking at how, um, the moments of, uh, trauma and unrest and injustice that are happening right now are just essentially like strings of pearls that have been happening throughout time, throughout America's history. Um, so, you know, the questions that we have that have come up in our home from my kids are more questions of like, how do we move forward? How do we help? Um, where are our allies? You know, where do we find the people that want to jump in the trenches with us uh, to improve this situation? Um, where can we find um, the time and space to like meditate and so that our actions are guided in a positive direction so that we can create real long lasting change? Um, so those are the kinds of questions that I've been fielding in my home. And those can be questions that have so many layers and the discussions around those, I'm sure, have been really rich. Does anybody else have any other questions that they have been fielding from either their own children or nieces or nephews or or kids at school? Markenya? Um, I don't have children in my household, but uh, my nephews, you know, we, we, chat a lot through text. And um, I remember the weekend of, of the, the the major uh, protest and looting and, and riots and all of that. And uh, we started, you know, the conversation um, and I, I did ask them, you know, how do they feel? Um, and I remember uh, the, the 14 and 15 year old both saying, you know, that they don't know what to feel. Um, mm. And so I think that is a moment that our children um, is experiencing. And, and it's a big question, but it's a simple question and it's why. And, and the analogy that comes to mind often when I hear children ask why um, is, I don't know if you all ever saw the episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when uh, Will Smith's dad came into the picture. This is one episode. He just appeared on the scene and he was, you know, fell in love with his dad and he was ready to go on the road with him. Um, and he never showed up. And um, at the end of that 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 episode, you know, he fell into James Avery's arms and and said, "Why don't he love me, man?" You know, and he just broke out in tears, and the 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 show kind of went off with that moment of passion. Um, and so I think that's sort of how our kids are feeling. Like, why why don't society like us? You know, mm-hmm. and, and they can't just under you know they can't um, put their head around you know why am I treated different because of you know, the color of my skin. And so I think that is the biggest question that I'm hearing, you know, among the youth. Um, and, and we've heard it before, but I think now it's, it's hard for adults to answer that question. I think you're, you're, you've hit the nail right on the head. They're very difficult questions to answer. And there's so many layers of, of complexity, um, when we were finishing up school a couple weeks ago, I think it was June 4th or June 5th, uh, we were collecting materials. So we 
we were doing distance learning. So we had, you know, a touchless drive through and, and all of that. But um, one of our families, they stopped and they, they kind of hopped out of the car and we, we spoke, you know, six feet apart, but um, trying to just kind of wrap our minds around what was happening in the world because there was a lot of scary things that, that kids were seeing on TV and, and hearing on the news. And uh, the student, he was finishing up second grade, going into third grade. And in my little tiny town, we were having um, a march for Black Lives Matter. And um, this, this young student, you know, looked, looked at me and said, you know, do you want to come? And his mom asked me, do you want to come? And absolutely, yes, yes, I will be there. And when I was talking with, um, with mom, you know, out of earshot of, of her son, you know, she, she said, you know, he's biracial, I'm black, and her, his father is white, and his father is a police officer. And, you know, he's, my son is so conflicted and confused because it is, uh, you know, he's, he's seeing conflicting messages on TV and he, he's, he asked me, you know, should, do I need to be afraid mom? And, and that was, that was a really awful moment for her, you know, at her son asking her, should I be afraid? And so I think a lot of these questions will come up um, and they are really difficult. Basil, what, what would you like to add? Yeah, so I'm I'm at the high school level. Um, so sometimes the questions, not saying that it doesn't happen at the elementary level, but sometimes mm-hmm. questions that high school students ask are very they're, they're on a deeper level. Um, Absolutely. So I, as I spoke to before, I know I have um, some school sons at my school, and and one of the days I was working with one of my school sons, and he kind of looked at me and said, "Mr. Marin, um, I want to learn how to act white, act white like you, like you." And I said, "Act white. What is that? What is that supposed to mean?" He says, "Oh, I see how you deal with people. You, you know, you, you go up front. You deal with the parents, and they respect you. And so, like, you, you act white." And I, I told him, "Son, that's that's called code switching, and I'm 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 being professional." I said, and so I, so I think you know, and I had explained to him what that really meant, um, and mm-hmm. that you live in two different worlds, and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to kind of double dutch. And what that means, but I, really, I think as educators, we do our kids a disservice when we're not honest with them and we sugarcoat stuff. Um, mm-hmm. To me, it's like watching a Lifetime movie where you feel the emotions and you, you you feel everything's going on, but then we tell our kids, as you just spoke about your story, the kid asks, "Do I need to be scared? Do I need to be worried?" And you know, I feel like before this happened, we would just tell a child, "No, that would never happen to you, baby. You're okay." But we, right. we have to be real with our kids. Like, no, that could happen to you. You could have been George Floyd. Like you have to be real, and so we have to teach our kids like not only about the bias and diversity, and and how you're gonna have to, you're living in a world where there's two different justice systems, but how do you bridge the gap? How do you start the conversation with your teachers and with your other your colleagues about you know how do we have a better world? Because I tell kids, you are the next generation. You could be mm-hmm. the next president. You could be the next mayor of Atlanta. Like we have to train you right and get you right, so that way our you know people people after us will have a better life. Um, as Dr. Markenia said, we're standing on our ancestors right now. And so we're making sure that, you know, kids at this time have what they need. And it's hard work. Um, and I'll, I'll tell educators, listen to this podcast. If you're looking for a five-step easy plan, you, you're not going to find it here because mm-hmm. it's hard work. And this work is difficult, but it's worth it in the end. Absolutely. And for for some of our listeners who, who might not be familiar with the term, um, could you explain what a school son is? 
Absolutely. So th- these are these are uh, young men that I've selected that do not fit the traditional mold of school. And by that, I, my, I, I will go in further and say that these students have had disciplinary issues in middle school. Um, their, their grades have slipped. And, and, and the literature speaks to for high school students, ninth grade is so pivotal, especially for marginalized young men that when they mm-hmm. come into the school system, you know, kids are tracked. <laughs> They're tracked. And so giving them the right tools and, and supports to be successful. So I go further. You know, a lot of schools have, you know, men of excellence and these different me- mentoring programs, which are great. But I go a step further and give them the ownership and label of you're my school son. So if I get a, if I get a call from a teacher, not only are you representing yourself, you're representing me. And so it takes it a step further and kids want to feel they want to feel cared. They want to feel loved. They want to feel like they belong to something. That's amazing. Thank you so much for for explaining that. And I think that, you know, taking that extra step um, has to be so, so powerful for those young men. And Nicole, you had something that you wanted to add? I did. I know that one of the reasons why, you know, unfortunately, very unfortunately, what has happened recently with George Floyd is not a new thing. But we didn't used to have smartphones, so we didn't used to watch it. It didn't used to go viral. It was something that the people that were there would have witnessed. Um, But, you know, in some way, we've all witnessed it now. And I think that that's also changed how we need to approach children because children are seeing these videos as well. So even though before, like in my generation, I might have only been witness to what was in front of me, children are now seeing things that, you know, they're creating, we're creating an awareness for them that they didn't have before. So in some sense, innocence is lost, but at the same time, they are the next generation. So it is really important how we frame these conversations with them. Do you guys feel like these conversations have been coming up sooner? And also, how can we handle that as we go into the next school year? Because, you know, honestly, we can't kid ourselves. Kids are on, they have smartphones from a very young age. So they're, they're already being exposed to these, these realities in our, in our world. That's so true. And and if we don't engage our, our students and our own children in these conversations, they are those conversations are happening anyway, whether they're on, you know, TikTok or Snapchat or Reddit or, you know, e- even on Roblox. I know that that kids are, are are talking about it and and I think it's important for us to be able to to listen to what they're experiencing, what they're hearing, and and also acknowledge, you know, the trauma of being exposed to a lot of this uh, and how we can help them and guide them through it. So, Evan, did you have um, questions that have come up with you and, and how have you dealt with it? You know, um, I think these are the conversations that I've had with both my children, um, and specifically my son. Um, unfortunately, I've had to have these conversations a lot younger than I would have wanted to. Um, he's 12 right now, but you know, a lot of, a lot of things that he has to understand, um, as a young black man, unfortunately, and navigating, um, our society, you know, there are things that I have to speak with him about, you know, just for, um, survival and also just for him to be 
more self-aware and socially aware as well because you know he has a diverse group of friends um you know he goes to school with a diverse diverse group of friends and you know that's his reality so a lot of the things that that have taken place over the last you know six to eight weeks you know are very similar to the conversations we had you know when Ferguson took place, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, of him, you know, watching things on TV with me and me sitting down and having those hard conversations with him to help him explain and understand. Um, and I think that, you know, that's part of the reality for um, a lot of us um, who are either have children of color, you know, specifically African-American identified African-American black in this country um, or either work in communities and serve, you know, students, um, black students, as well as that it's almost as if some of the childhood innocence, right. And the, and being naive is taken away a lot earlier than it should be. Um, because of the reality for survival, um, comes into play and it's not just physical survival, but it's also mental, right. Being able to, uh, mentally and socially navigate and understand, you know, what, what's going on in the world and, and how to, um, you know, become resilient for a lot of things and how to address them and how to handle them. Um, you know, Basil was talking about, you know, explaining code switching to, uh, you know, um, you know, the young man. And that's, you know, that's something in which that, you know, if if he didn't do that for that young man, no one may have may, may have not shown that to that young man or explained that to him. And that's something that could have been detrimental because he didn't get it. He didn't understand. And just the fact that, you know, I've heard this, you know, similar before is that, you know, the mindset of saying, you know, acting white, right? Putting putting a putting a, a certain you know, race or culture or mindset on behaviors. Right. Is, is another part of the of the mental health traumatic piece that has happened historically, you know, for for black people here in the United States in terms of determining that. And, and that's something, you know, I'm, you know, we can we can talk about, you know, on a, you know, later on or at another podcast. But, you know, the, the mental health aspect um, and the social emotional learning aspect of all of this is real. Right. Um we have seen traumatic events, right? Either we've witnessed it um, firsthand, or we we viewed we we have viewed it on on television, and it's and it's almost and it's looped through the media, and not to mention the the everyday pieces that um, you know we experience as well, and historically we've we've experienced. So so that in terms of when we go back to school, you know what I what I want. To, I want everyone to be cognizant of and be, you know, socially aware about is this, is that upon our return to school, whether it's virtual, whether it's in person, the reality is that, you know, two months of, of educating others and educating, you know, and educating ourselves to get to a certain point to have conversations may not put us in the place to become experts. However, what it should do over this time is be able to open up um, our mindset for growth and some better awareness and understanding to move forward. 
Um, so just with that, as we kind of talk about that and move towards, you know, what is this going to look like when we turn in the fall? Because so many things have happened. You know, I also want to make sure that we are also protecting, you know, um, our staff, you know, our African-American staff members as well, because, you know, it also isn't always necessarily fair to put the weight of some of this on them along with their other day jobs. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because that's, that's a, that's a heavy burden to carry um, because it's not asked for, for non-white counterparts to, to, to have double duty as well. Right. A skill set is a skill set. Um, a particular certification or qualification is what it is. And just by the sheer nature of one's, um, ethnic or racial background does not necessarily make them an export nor equipped to facilitate some of the things that I, that I, that I feel. And from what I observed may be coming in terms of needs from districts and schools for the upcoming mm-hmm. school year. And you bring up an excellent point. I'm, you know, two, two or three months of, of reading doesn't make, doesn't make any of us experts. And I know Nicole and I would, would never put ourselves out there as as race experts or or civics ex- experts, um, but I think you also make a very good point when you say it is enough time to to make forward progress. And some of the things that that um, that I've been learning is you know uncovering some of the things that I didn't know that I didn't know, and now having some more awareness around those things so that I can, that I can continue to do work and make further progress. And, you know, I think that's going to be a key, a key piece for so many of us and everybody's in a different place in their work, but um, just can, making sure that we are, are making that commitment and recommitting every single day to continue forward in that work. So, so Basil, when, when you're looking at having the kids come back in the fall, uh, what kinds of things are you anticipating and, and where do you see the conversations going? Absolutely. Um, I think as, as Evan said, we know there are going to be some deficits, right? Um, academically, socially, um, students with trauma, um, just based on the social justice that's going on, but also with, with COVID, you know, during this time. And so I think the conversations that with the students are, you know, we, we were already having a conversation about growth mindset, um, but mm-hmm. really, you know, meeting students where they are, um, you know, they, they, they've already had their deficits, they're behind, but we don't need to keep reminding them they're behind either. Um, you know, people, when you keep reminding someone they're behind, you also lose a set of sense of motivation or that self-efficacy that, you know, I can do this. Um, and so it's also reminding teachers that, hey, we, we know our students are behind. We'll have our, you know, beginning of the year professional development. But how can you get your students to where they need to be? But also having grace, having grace. And so I think for me, a, a big thing we spoke about this year at our school was having, you know, compassion over compliance. Um, and as educators, we get so stuck up on holding students accountable and wanting to always be punitive, but also meeting students where they are. And so if, even for me, this upcoming year, I'll be administrator over Esau. Um, and that's that's kind of been a new development that's been new to my heart um, in terms of helping students who are a lot of language barriers. Um, and so helping those kids to kind of understand, like, you know what, we know you're coming, you know, 
with how, like as Evan said, not having had really strong instruction for two months, but how can we get you to where you have to be? Um, so having those conversations, and, and one thing I'll say is understanding that SEL doesn't have an age limit. Like a lot of times when I hear educators speaking about SEL, they're speaking about, you know, the little kindergartners or the elementary kids. <laughs> we got to have SEL for our adults too. They're coming in the door with their baggage. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I told my, you know, my teachers this summer, please take a break, take a break. People are zoomed out. People are tired. Then we, then we add on this other element of what's been going on with the, the unrest in our, in our country internationally. Um, people need a break. And so letting people reset fully or to the best that they can. So when they come back, we can be about this work because we, we have, you know, a, a huge hill in front of us, but we have to understand that. We all got in this work, and most of us got in this work to help kids be successful. So what, right. what, we have to remember our why and why we're in this work and know that we're built for this. So mm-hmm. how are we going to recalibrate? How are we going to make sure we get back? Um, there's going to be a lot of different parameters. Uh, you know, I, I, all day I was thinking about, you know, what does, you know, social distancing look like, you know, in the classroom or look like in the hallways and all these things we don't have the answers for. Um, but when we are given our directives from our divisions, we have to do the best we can to up, uphold those. Um, but I, I think with our kids, it's just being real, but also having love and loving on our kids and saying, you know what? we, we ha- like, And I think for kids, too, they will rise to a level of expectation that you give them. One of my favorite movies is Stand and Deliver. That that gentleman has the worst probably class and the perceived worst class in the, in the building, but they did so well that they thought they cheated. So <laughs> if you if you if you raise the expectation and you make sure the kids kids reach for the high fruit, not the low fruit, they, mm-hmm. they are sponges. They're gonna they're gonna grow. So let's not water down instruction and try to well, let's piecemeal. Let's just give them what they need. Meet them where they're at, but give them what they need and stretch our kids because they they want that. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's interesting, too, because I think when we're talking about, you know, don't water down the curriculum, make sure that you, you're challenging each and every one of those kids because that is what they want. That is what they need. And, you know, with distance learning and that that crisis teaching, really, which is what we were we we're doing uh, when we all had to suddenly stay home. I think things are going to look very different in the fall as far as distance learning because we won't be caught behind, you know, caught unawares. I think we have more time to prepare and be more intentional with how we are delivering instruction, how we are engaging students. And I think that all of the conversations that are happening now about making sure that we understand where each and every child is coming from and and not making those judgments is going to to really further uh, the potential for for all of our kids uh, so but you also brought up a really good point I thought about not forgetting about the adults in your building and you know professional development for our educators and also, I think even parent orientations at the beginning of the school year or those individual conferences with, with parents that get, that get nervous. Um, I think that those conversations are going to be really, really important because just as much as every single one of our children are in different places, I think their families and our, and our teachers are in different places as well. And you and I earlier today were talking a little bit about a fixed mindset versus growth mindset and, and the whole, you know, moving from 
that place of fear and feeling overwhelmed. And this is such a big problem. I don't know what to do about it. Therefore, I can't do anything about it. So I should just teach my curriculum the way it's always been done. And then moving out of that comfort zone and saying, no, you know, it is important for us to have these conversations. It is important for me to be uncomfortable and grow and learn so that we can further that work. And I think as administrators, it's important for us to create that space where and the opportunity for for our teachers and our parents to have those conversations and and grow and learn together. So I think it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting year, an interesting year. Now, Mark Kenya, I know that you you have you deal with um, with elementary age students at your school. What kinds of things are you anticipating? What kinds of conversations are you anticipating happening this fall? I, I'm anticipating, you know, more conversations with adults, with the staff, um, mm-hmm. being in uh, the northwestern suburbs of, of uh, Chicago or Illinois, rather. Um, out here, you know, there's a tendency um, for many adults to to believe that they don't have to pay attention to that noise because it doesn't impact them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually, the other day, co-facilitated a PD session for uh, uh, administrators and the, the, the conversation was around diversity, inclusion, and equity. And, you know, I we, we talked a lot about um, how a lot of the research suggests that equity goes before inclusion. And I said, you know, I strongly disagree with that because inclusion produces equity. And so mm-hmm. just really... Um, doing work and conversations with the adults in the, in the school building around inclusive practices. Um, Probably the fourth and fifth graders may be able to, to verbalize, you know, emotions and, and thoughts around the energy that, that, that they have witnessed Uh, the younger children. They probably have felt it, but they can't, you know, add words to it. Um, But I think that the heavy lift, uh, for, for all of us will probably be transforming, you know, the adults in the building, um, especially mm-hmm. if you do not have a large minority population. Um, and so just uh, having that, those crucial conversations around, um, and I, I had to be very candid the other day with, with the administrators that were in the session, I said, you know, if you have one student that's a minority, then that's enough to take action. You know, mm-hmm. there should be representation uh, of that student's race throughout your building. There should be acknowledgement. One is enough, you know, so so no longer can you say, well, I don't have a, enough to make a subgroup. Uh, one kid matters, you know. And so I, I anticipate having those conversations and, and trying to, uh, one of my mentors, uh, she would tell me, she said, you know, uh, the, the saying about, you know, you can lead the, the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But she said, you can make them thirsty. You know, you can put <laughs> salt in the water. <laughs> and so I, I really like that. You know, I, I've always kind of, you know, tried to put, take that approach with those co- crucial conversations, you know, let's put a little salt in this water. So, so then now, now you're thirsty, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's mm-hmm. what I kind of foresee more so from just coming uh, from the elementary world, you know, just because of the, the age uh, level of the students and them being able to, to verbalize the emotions. Right, right. Wow. There's, there's been so much, so much um, 
that's been shared in this conversation. And I think that, you know, there's so much more for us to talk about. And I know we've, we've talked about doing a, a few more episodes down the road. Um, but I just wanted to say, you know, thank you so much for, for talking about, you know, that first foundational piece. What are the questions? You know, the feelings are there, but what are the questions that we should be asking ourselves? What are the questions that kids are asking us so that we can prepare and get ready so that we are doing the right things? And nobody's going to be perfect, but if we can keep trying to do that next right thing and and continue to grow and learn, I think we'll be going in the right direction. So Nicole, did you want to did you want to say anything as we wrap things up? No, just again to reiterate um, my appreciation for our panel and their willingness to share openly with us. I think this is a learning process and um, as we as as parents are and educators, thinking about how we should frame these conversations with children. Um, Our children are our future. So it's very important that we're framing them appropriately and, and in a way that's going to make a difference as we move forward. Absolutely. Well, thank you again to everybody on the panel. You have shared some wonderful insights with us and we are very, very grateful to know you and learn from you. So thanks again. And Thank you to our audience. Thanks for pulling up a seat and being a part of our show today. You can always reach out to us on Twitter or on Instagram at the underscore edu underscore table. Uh, We would absolutely love to hear from you and continue the conversation. All right. Thank you so much and have a wonderful evening. Happy Juneteenth, everybody.